Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, February 9th, 2016, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. The next Pleiadian lineup will be in May of 2016, and we still have a few spots left for the ninth Starseed Crystal Quest to Arkansas, which starts May 15th through the 21st. This is a soul group reunion of what we call the Crystal Soul Family, and it's identified by having at least one of these six star markings, either natally or progressed, 25, 26, or 27 degrees in Taurus, Scorpio, Aquarius, Leo, Capricorn, and Cancer. This soul group has the rites of passage where crystals are concerned, and when they come together in Arkansas, magic does happen. If you feel the call of the crystals and aren't sure if you have the markings, I'll be glad to take a quick look at your charts and let you know. Just send me your complete birth info with the date, exact time of birth, place of birth, and your current location, and write to crystals, that's plural, crystals, at starseedhotline.com. We also have a weekend gathering in Arkansas coming up March 18th through the 20th, which is open to all star seeds and includes a crystal dig and the Quapaw bathhouse. We have a few spots still available, but only until February 18th. So please write to Tammy at starseedhotline.com for more details about the weekender. Our very distinguished guest this evening is Ruben Uriarti, State MUFON Director for Northern California with a bachelor's degree in psychology and Latin American studies. He's been on numerous national TV shows like Ancient Aliens, UFO Files, and Unexplained Files, and many more, speaking about his ongoing UFO investigations. He's written numerous books on UFOs following his field research, and he's here to tell us about his findings. His book, Mexico's Roswell, brings to light a story of a mysterious USO, UFO crash near the U.S.-Mexican border. You can find or follow his work on these sites, roswellbooks.com, mufon.com, and northerncaliforniamufon.com. At the top of the show, it's the Starseed News with Anastasia, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. We'd like to thank Vanya this evening for hosting the Switchboard. If you'd like to chat with like-minded people, we have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and special thanks to Tammy for her dedication to the forum. You can download our show podcasts on iTunes or right from our Blog Talk Radio episode page using the cloud with an arrow icon. We'd appreciate your support of our show, and you can do that by clicking follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notice. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. Remote healing sessions for people and pets 
are also available with Tammy. If you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And if you want a Stage 2 interpretation of your solar return chart, please, please order it at least two or three months ahead of time to make sure you get it in before your 10 hours kicks in. Before I introduce Anastasia's Starseed News, I'd like to say that this past week I heard about a YouTube video that was supposedly about Starseed Astrology and another unrelated website also used that same phrase. I listened to the video and it was so far off base that I felt compelled to tell our audience, beware of people saying they do Starseed Astrology. Lavendar is the one who discovered and mastered the codes given by the Pleiadians, and no one outside of Starseed Hotline is qualified to make such a claim. They quoted Lavendar's work without proper credit, but most disturbing is that they quoted incorrectly. Even beyond Starseed Astrology, be wary of Internet gurus. There is so much disinformation, mistaken information, or outright untruths online that you must be the one to protect yourself. Remember... As Lavendar says, truth knows its own source. So first, right now, I would like to introduce Anastasia with the Starseed News. Well, good evening, Ariel. It's so good Hello. to be with you. And hi, and thank you for bringing that up. That's important for everyone to know. Pretty astonishing you're right about the Internet gurus and people who claim to know when they don't. So thank you for bringing that up. And incidentally, speaking of Internet and information, I want to first start by thanking those wonderful Starseed listeners who've been sending me great emails and help. I haven't done that in a while. I thank you all so much for participating. Uh, It's always appreciated. It always educates me. And if you wonder why I don't bring some of your news to the forefront, it's because of one of probably two reasons. One is that uh, your link may be a video, uh, which doesn't serve me very well for the purpose of of reading a newscast. I can't show the the listeners uh, what it is that I'm looking at. And secondarily is that certain websites in fact quite a few of them, may not really be reliable as news sources. I have found that while very interesting to read and kind of exciting, uh, some of these sites, uh, when the articles themselves are traced back to their source, I discover that the writers themselves have sort of, mm, let's say, taken the information and made it fit what they want it to fit. So when I uh, use articles for the Starseed News, I really do try to pick out things that I think are uh, pretty reliable. Anyway, in today's world, we don't really know. But uh, the, if your article isn't mentioned, it's probably because it's in one of those two categories. But I want to thank you all for your participation and for your wonderful letters. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, today in the sun, we may have a minor uh, coronal mass ejection impact. NOAA forecasters are estimating a 40% chance of minor geomagnetic storms. They say a CME could deliver a glancing blow to our magnetic field sometime today. And a recently discovered asteroid is scheduled to fly by Earth in March, but NASA can't quite tell how far away it will be when that happens. One estimate is that it will come as close as 11,000 miles, about 95% closer than the moon. 
Now, this asteroid scheduled to fly by, uh, best guess, is on March 5th. It's known as 2013 T-68, and as you can tell by its name, 2013, it was first discovered three years ago. This asteroid is 100 feet in diameter, and it will be in our neighborhood for quite a while. But what is not known for certain is whether that means it's going to be 11,000 miles away or 9 million miles away uh, by next month. So and in comparison, incidentally, the moon is 238,000 miles away. So that is about the closest I have ever heard of an asteroid coming in the time that I've been doing this newcast. In fact, it absolutely is the closest. Uh, when we put it in digits, it's 0.044 lunar distance. Now, authorities are saying nothing to worry about. Dodds are uh, better to hit the lottery than it is to expect, anticipate uh, an impact from this asteroid, but just passing it along. And there is brand new news beyond the Milky Way. Astronomers have just taken a peek behind that big mess of stars and dust to find a veritable galactic zoo in a previously unexplored region of space. Now, we're just not talking about a handful of galaxies. These researchers have applied a new survey technique using the Australia-based Parkes Radio Telescope, and they have found hundreds of undiscovered galaxies. A total of 883 galaxies have been identified within 250 million light years from Earth, a third of which have never been seen before. They are all located in what's called the zone of avoidance, which is a region of space usually inaccessible to telescopes beyond the Milky Way's galactic bulge. Imagine hmm. that, guys. 883 oh. galaxies. Whew. We really are in our infancy about such matters, aren't we, as a race? Uh -huh. But we're finding more stuff all the time. Well, we've had a 2.9 magnitude earthquake re uh, recorded near Mount St. Helens in the state of Washington. It happened yesterday morning, according to the USGS. Of course, it wasn't very strong. 2.9 is almost nothing. Only three people reported feeling it. But they felt this one in southern Taiwan. It was hit by a 6.4 earthquake. It caused extensive damage. Um, that was on Saturday. At least 23 people were killed, and I don't know what the updates on that is. I suspect maybe more. The quake struck on Saturday morning. It collapsed a number of buildings, and uh, they were having a really hard time getting people out from under that rubble. And it happened at a time when uh, there were many homes packed with families that had gathered for the Chinese New Year. So our thoughts go to them. And in New Zealand, we had a strong uh, 5.7 earthquake uh, that happened just uh, today, actually. It rocked central New Zealand, according to the reports, but I have no other information to share with you. Well, in Zimbabwe, we have a state of disaster uh, for the drought that they're having. Zimbabwean president has declared a state of disaster from the severe drought that has been ravaging the rural areas areas in that South African country. Now, currently, 26% of the population in that nation, uh, which amounts to about 2.4 million people, is in need of food assistance. Really tough times there. All their crops are dried up. And in Japan, the Sakurajima volcano has erupted, uh, and that happens to be 31 miles away from a nuclear power plant. In fact, it is from away from the Sendai nuclear station. And uh, it's uh, 
caused the Meteorological Agency in Japan to issue an orange warning to not approach the volcano. Now, when it erupted in 1914, it was Japan's most powerful eruption of the 20th century. The lava flows filled the strait separating the island from the mainland, and it turned the area into a peninsula. Now, here's a wild story for you, and don't ask me why they did it. In fact, the article itself really didn't give us much information. Uh, China has created a short-lived artificial sun using nuclear fusion. That's right. Chinese scientists managed somehow to create a searing plasma through heating hydrogen gas three times hotter than our sun's core in a controlled experiment in eastern China. And the experiment was conducted in the donut-shaped chamber of a magnetic fusion reactor last week, where nuclear scientists heated hydrogen up to a temperature of over 100 million degrees Fahrenheit and maintained that temperature for 102 seconds. Wow. Wow. I don't know why. Because <laughs> they can, I guess. Well, out of Mexico. You know, the Pope is heading to Mexico on the 12th of February, and just a few days away. And around 30 indigenous communities in Mexico have released a statement demanding that the Pope apologize for killings of some 24 million aboriginal inhabitants committed with the complicity of the Catholic Church during the colonization of the Americas. The Supreme Indigenous Council of of, uh, Mexico accused the Catholic Church of being involved in mass genocide, which started with the Spaniards' arrival to the Central American region in the 16th century. The statement noted that by the beginning of the 17th century, there were less than 700,000 native inhabitants left alive from an original population of 25 million, which makes the Spanish intervention and invasion of the Americas one of the largest acts of genocide in history. The statement reads, quote, For over 500 years, the original people of the Americas have been ransacked, robbed, murdered, exploited, discriminated, and persecuted. Within this framework, the Catholic Church has historically been complicit and has been allies of those who have invaded our land. And in science, they have found out something fascinating about cells, but I know this isn't going to be too surprising to our healers out there who work with cells. Like the telephone game where you, in a party or such, that you line up a group of people and one person whispers a message to the next person and the original message starts to go down the line and gets distorted as it travels between people? Well, they have found that cells themselves communicate in this way. That the body cells, in order to decide whether and where to move inside of the body, cells themselves must read chemical signals in their environment. Individual cells do not act alone during this process. Instead, body cells make decisions collectively after exchanging information about the chemical messages they are receiving. Researchers say that cells talk to nearby cells and compare notes before they make a move. Now, cells can sense the precise concentration of a chemical signal and also the concentration differences. Because cells sense this gradient, it gives them a reference for the direction in which to move and to grow. They say that living cells can sense chemicals better than any human-made device. And that got me to thinking. You know, you go to the grocery store and a lot of that stuff in there is toxic. But let's say you bring home a bag of chips or maybe a can of chips 
you know what I mean? And maybe your inner senses go, you know, those just bad vibes coming from that, just bad vibes. Or you start to put something to your mouth, and you go, you know, this just doesn't feel right. Well, time to pay attention. This tells me that when our brains are, let's say, interpreting that kind of information from cells, we're going to get a sense that maybe that isn't real food or maybe we shouldn't eat it. Because remember, living cells can sense chemicals better than any human-made device. Wow. And in Austria, we had an, uh, they had an avalanche, it was huge, uh, that killed uh, a bunch of people while it buried 17 people. Uh, the avalanche was 1.25 miles wide and 16 feet deep, and it came down just southeast of Innsbruck, Austria. Uh, most of the people survived, but that was a big one, really, really big one. Any of you have lived up in the mountains, as I have, you know that avalanches can be pretty scary when they start to tumble. And uh, we've talked a little bit about the Flint, Michigan water situation. Well, I just wanted to pass this along. A lot of people are donating water, bottled water, to the lead-poisoned residents of Flint in Michigan. And Nestle, one of the world's largest manufacturers of bottled water, has come under fire for its ties uh, to the state water crisis. Apparently, according to the news reports, uh, the governor's chief of staff... Uh, was married to, during the time of the height of the crisis, was married to a spokesman for the Nestle company. And uh, the article went on to say that uh, Nestle's interests have been well looked after while the residents of Michigan's water interests have not. Um, Nestle, let's see, I'm looking for this here. My computer just reset. Uh, It said that they have used... uh, They take out of the groundwater 200 gallons per minute... It sucks out of the ground to sell their Ice Mountain brand of bottled water. So the people in Michigan, uh, many of them, I think, acting from activist uh, Michael Moore, who, by the way, is a Flint resident, uh, and in an article in the Huffington Post uh, just the other day, uh, reported the connection between Nestle and the Michigan government. um, Raised a bunch of ire in people, and they are actually rejecting and asking that people not donate Nestle's products or Nestle's bottled water to them in the wake of this lead poisoning. It has also been reported in the press that uh, government officials and government workers uh, drank bottled water instead of tap water at the time that residents were being assured their water was potable when, in fact, it was not. So just passing that along. Well, there's been some mysterious cattle deaths in Kansas, and in this case, it's not been mutilations. Uh, Late last uh, month, early last month, or late December, uh, dead cattle were found near an oil field in the Cimarron National Grassland. Now, that's a national park, national uh, authority. Authorities have believed that cows inhaled something toxic, and that prompted them to implement an emergency order to deny public access to that 2,500-acre Cimarron National Grassland until May, at least May. Uh, Specifically, they suspect that the cattle inhaled hydrogen sulfide, which is a toxic gas that can be released in the oil and gas drilling processes. So they've implemented an emergency order to halt public access uh, that long and maybe longer. So if you plan on visiting that area in Kansas for vacation, 
better check and see the status of it. Pretty up there, but now you can't get to it. And in our medical research, researchers at Skidmore College in New York have discovered that by creating a custom digital electronic signal, they can destroy cancer cells and methicillin-resistant uh, me, Staphylococcus aureus uh, bacteria, uh, MRSA. You've all heard of MRSA. In their laboratory experiments, they used an oscillating pulse electric field, electric field. Uh, to shatter targeted cells from various cancers and to destroy the antibacterial or the antibiotic resistant bacteria MRSA, an oscillating pulsed electric field. Sorry, that's really hard to say, kind of a tongue twister. <laughs> but there we go. There's frequency there working for you. Frequency in the destruction of malignancies and uh, bad things we don't want in our bodies. So very interesting. That sounds sort of uh, uh, Star Trekky, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Star Trek, yeah. When the doctor just pulled out his little uh, box and geared it up and sent a signal and healed things. So we really are advancing. Well, I haven't reported on this, mostly because I think it's really dismal. Uh, but there's been so many reports, I'm going to pass this along to you, For out of probably 15 uh, articles that I've read about this or news reports, I haven't reported any. So tonight I'm going to fess up and tell you that we really have a lot of uh, whales being beached, uh, dead whales turning up all over the world. And now in India, uh, days after the dead whales were found near the coast, yet another whale was found this morning. Now, prior to this month, a whale that measured, by the way, 33 feet long and 12 feet wide, was found two days ago, while another whale measuring 60, 66 feet long was found just four days ago. Now, last month, the carcasses of more than 60 whales were sighted along the coastlines of India. And that's not just India. It's happening all over the place. But on a happier note, this is a great article. You all like trees. I love trees. I think that many of us love trees. And, you know, doing the kind of work that we do here, shamanic work and stuff, we uh, really love our trees and encourage people to communicate with trees. Well, there's a man in Germany. He's a 51-year-old German forest ranger. His name is Peter Wallenben. And his book was published in May at, entitled The Hidden Life of Trees, What They Feel, How They Communicate, Discoveries from a Secret World. Well, it's brought the German black forest back into the spotlight. And this book topped the bestseller list. Uh, now, this man has been on the media trail since his book has been very popular, and uh, he has been making the case for a popular reimagination of trees, which he says uh, contemporary society tends to look as organic robots, you know, designed just to produce oxygen and wood. How many people think that trees have anything to them? Just sit there and do nothing, right? Well, presenting scientific research and his own observations, uh, the author says that the trees in the forest are social beings. They can count. They can learn and remember. They nurse sick neighbors. They warn each other of danger by sending electrical si signals across a fungal network known as the Wood Wide Web. <laughs> and for reasons unknown, they keep ancient stumps of long-felled companions alive for centuries by feeding them a sugar solution through their roots. Wow. Wow. Now that kind of takes wow. me back wow. to the Celts 
and the stories of the little people and the fairies and the magic of the woods. Now there, you know, that's just delicious. And that's a wonderful thing. And I think that man has done a wonderful service to bring up this uh, to us now, to bring up this information. So if you want to get that book, everybody, it's called The Hidden Life of Trees, What They Feel, How They Communicate, Discoveries from a Secret World. I'm going to be sure and get that. Well, our quote for tonight, it is important not to allow ourselves to be put off by the magnitude of other suffering. The misery of millions is not a cause for pity. Rather, it is a cause for compassion. And that's from Tenzin Gayatso, the 14th Dalai Lama. And with that, I will leave you. I want you to all have a wonderful week. From my heart to yours, many blessings. It's going to be a great show tonight, Ariel. It sure is. So thank you so much for the Starseed News. So uh, right now I am going to bring Lavendar online with our guest, Ruben Uriarti. And get your mic open and okay. Welcome to the show, Ruben. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And that was a wonderful news uh, that uh, new, news report that Anastasia provided. Uh, just a lot going on in, in in our planet. Right. Well, it's stuff that you just don't hear. And it's, exactly, it's something that we're interested in. So it is a great service that she does for the Starseed community. Yes. So, Lavender, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, great. So, well, Ruben, we'll... I have been into your book over the weekend. I've only gotten to probably the place where it says um, the 2007 field investigation. That's where I had to stop. But I'm really, really into this book called The Mexico's Roswell. And um, I commend you for taking the steps that you've taken to bring this story uh, to light. So you and your co-author, uh, No Tories, you've written a number of books about UFOs. So tell us how you got started. Well, thank you, Lavender. Uh, p- pleasure to be on your show. And um, and thank you, Ariella. She's been working hard on pronouncing my name. <laughs> she did a great <laughs> job. <laughs> I won't even try, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, um Really, uh, my interest in UFOs go back when I was a kid, and when I had my first sighting, and that left me a great imprint, and for me to follow this whole mission or path of trying to find out what's going out out there, seeking the truth, and with that, I've been able to do a number of things, and I follow synchronicity. <laughs> it seems that whenever synchronicity uh you know materializes that something really interesting will happen uh, for me so uh, how it all started was um i was working with the history channel they were interested in doing a documentary on crash ufo's and just so happened that uh we came across a document called the denup report which i'll elaborate further which was a document that contain a lot of detailed information about a crash UFO or mid-air collision of a UFO and a small airplane over the uh, northern desert of Chihuahua. And it goes in, in, in very much in depth. Well, it just so happened that um, they were interested in finding a, a, an investigator 
to do that segment and talk about the denim report. And we were trying to find a number of people, but no one was available. And then he said, well, how about you doing it, Ruben? I thought, oh, okay. So I, I did that. I, I was on UFO files, and um, they did History Channel did a number of crash retrievals about um, down UFOs in other countries. It just so happened that uh, my good friend uh, Noe Torres, who I, I did not know him until he had called me, and later when he saw the show, and he said, "Hey, you know, I've been wanting to um, do more research on." on Texas and UFOs and the UFO phenomena. And he said, how would you like to collaborate and, and work on this Koyama case together? And I said, absolutely. So we started to do that, and we went to Koyama, which where the UFO crash had, had, had occurred. And it was amazing because with that, we just started to gather a lot of information and we started finding out about other down UFOs that also occurred along the Texas-Mexican border. So with that, uh, once we uh, started gathering that information as well as the others, uh, we decided just to write separate books about these separate incidents that happened. So with that, uh, we've uh, done another book on the on Mexico's Raws, we'll call the Koyami Incident. And with that, uh, we have uh, witnesses that have come out, and we've shared their experiences, their stories, in the third book called The Koyami Incident. So the the thing about the crash UFOs, it along the, the border, we it's still a mystery. We don't know. We do not know why. But when you have um, a number of these occurring in the Southwest. Uh, it makes you wonder what's going on in this part of the world. Why are we having so many of these um, occurrences from sightings to paranormal activities to sacred areas in the Southwest, as well as uh, it also overlapping into Mexico? So that kind of kind of gives you just a snapshot of what how we got started there, Lavender. You know, as I was reading this book, one of the things that occurred to me was um, large areas of uranium are in certain places in Texas. And I was wondering if maybe the occupants of the ships were doing something around uranium or it it maybe became something of interest. Did did that occur to you when you were uh, researching about the uranium aspect? Yes. uh, In fact, uh, that was one of the areas that we started to look at was the uranium mining that's also on the other side of the border and, and also along the United States, also in Texas. And we found Those Marfa reports. lights, and I have I've mm-hmm. been down to Marfa, and I've seen the lights, and, and I always thought that it was something that I would call kind of a crack between the worlds place. It's a place where I think interdimensionally things start coming together, and it could be an entrance and exit for a lot of... Uh, Maybe ships or portals or um, a gym PowerPoint maybe has been activated in that area. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love going to Marfa. Seeing those lights are just really are mind-blowing, seeing yeah. all these different orbs. We even oh. shot lasers at them, Lavender. Really? Yeah. It was really interesting. We were We had these powerful lasers, and we were shooting at these orbs, 
And it was amazing. They would either stop or sometimes it would split in half. Whoa. Or sometimes they would disappear. We, it was a, a really interesting reaction that we got from them. Oh, I never thought about doing anything like that. That's pretty brave. <laughs> well, tell us more about, kind of give us a a thumbnail, um, just take us on a little memory trip about, about the little airplane and the, and, the, and the UFO that crashed and bring us up to speed where the uh, Mexican Army came in and then what happened to them. Yes, um, as I as I stated, uh, the original information came from a report called Deneb, and I'll get into the name of Deneb. Um, again, that was somewhat synchronistic when we discovered what the name meant. But it all started uh, on August on 25th of 1974, where an object was sighted coming from the Gulf of Mexico and it was heading toward Texas. It was at high elevation, about 70,000 feet, and it started descending in steps. The traffic controllers uh, from various military installations caught the object on radar, and as the object started to descend, they knew it wasn't a meteor. It was definitely, because a meteor has like an arc path to it. So it descended down to 45,000 feet and gradually down to 20,000 feet, heading toward Corpus Christi. So as soon as it started getting into American airspace, uh, they the military started to initiate a full full alert. So what happened was that all of a sudden this object went and made a 90-degree turn and avoided going into U.S. airspace and followed the border. Right, it went into Mexican territory, and it was flying toward a northwestern direction. Well, coincidentally, there was a small airplane that was leaving out of El Paso, and supposedly it was uh, flying toward Mexico City. And this 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 occurred at night, approximately around ten o'clock in the evening, where the all of a sudden uh, both of, both objects were were uh, were lost. There was no radar blip of the object nor the airplane. So um, when the the next day uh, the Mexican military sent out a search and rescue team, and they went out and they found the found remnants of this airplane, but they also found a disc, a small disc, also out there in the desert. <clears throat> so they uh, went and they. Uh, were able to retrieve the remnants of the of the plane as well as some of the victims as detailed in the report and they also put the small UFO disc it was approximately about 16 feet in diameter and 5 feet in height so they loaded that disc on a flatbed truck well Throughout this time, there was surveillance from spy satellites from, from the United States as well as reconnaissance aircraft. They were tracking this. And they also <clears throat> had contacted the Mexican military and Mexican government asking if they needed re, uh, assistance, and um, they were politely uh, turned down. So the... Um, when they started to leave, they, they, there was a convoy of military uh, jeeps and trucks. 
So all of a sudden, it's the, the truck convoy stopped, and another uh, reconnaissance uh, plane saw that there were victims or there was people laying on the ground, and they knew there was something not quite right. Well, in that, they, uh, there was a, another a retrieval team uh, stationed at Fort Bliss, and as soon as they got the word, they were told to go ahead and fly into Mexican airspace toward where the downed UFO was at. Now, these soldiers, um, they flew, they were either from you know, the U.S. Army or or some other branch of the military because they flew in, um, in unmarked helicopters, which was interesting. Um, there were about three Huey-type Huey uh, helicopters. That was the, the type of helicopter that was quite prevalent back in the 70s during the Vietnam War era, as well one of these large helicopters that carry cargo also flew toward the direction into Mexican airspace. When they arrived, uh, they saw a number of the dead soldiers, dead Mexican soldiers laying on the ground. The U.S. military retrieval team, they wore protective uh, clothing. They had protective suits, biological protective suits. Um, they must have been aware that there might have been some sort of release of some sort of toxic substance or, or, or radiation or whatever, but they were protected. So they gathered, um, they were able to lift the, the disc, and they flew it back into the U.S. territory, up in the Davis Mountains, um, which is uh, around the Big Bend area, with uh, that part of south of uh, West Texas, right across the border. Uh, before they also before they also flew back to Saucer, they um, these soldiers gathered the did Mexican soldiers as well, well as well as the equipment, as well as the airplane, and they destroyed it with high explosives. It was basically, more like a quarantine. So these soldiers, <clears throat> so the American soldiers returned back with the disc, and in the report. It stated that uh, the disc was either taken in a truck convoy and later put on a railroad, and either it went to um, Dayton, Ohio, or also to um, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, that is, in Dayton, Ohio, and or also to Atlanta. And we were wondering why Atlanta, and one of our thoughts was, well, the Center of Disease Control is uh, based out of Atlanta, and they have the, all these uh, these labs, special types of labs that pretty much are um, used to study various viruses, and, and they're very sophisticated labs. So that was how we uh, started to put the puzzles together. And what's interesting, Lavender, is that when you work in these cases, we're always finding something new. Uh, it, the investigation hasn't ended for us. Uh, we've got now on a number of interesting witnesses at, uh, from both sides of the border um, that remember that day, remember seeing this loud explosion or seeing this uh, huge explosion, actually, over, over that area. And at the same time, um, and also I'll get into it, uh, there was a lot of UFO activity that was occurring in the Koyama area during the time when 
when this event had occurred. So that's kind of the, the general overview of, of this case. It's really quite compelling uh, just seeing or thinking about what had happened. We went out to the desert a couple of times out there in the Chihuahuan Desert, and unlike other uh, other investigators, which I really envy some that can be able to go out periodically to do their research, we're dealing in a situation which is, has uh, complicated our research because right now, as you know, uh, Mexico uh, is in the middle of a drug war and wasn't safe for us. <laughs> we were constantly um, being surveyed by Me- Mexican federal troops, which was good, but at the same time, we also had to be very careful of what areas we were entering in. And obviously, uh, we've had to rely a lot on our other friends, other Mex- or Mexican investigators <clears throat> based in Mexico to help us out with this case. So there's a lot to it. I wanted to ask you what you thought about that little trip that they must have taken late at night doing the back roads and not getting on the interstate all the way to Atlanta. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, you know, they they obviously drove through areas that weren't heavily populated and were trying to avoid attention. And so I found that quite fascinating how they were able to maneuver such something. Of course, they were hiding either. I mean, they were they probably put or or kept out of sight the the object, probably with a large canvas or 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 actually probably in in a uh, enclosed um, uh, container uh, for fear of whatever this thing may have had. You didn't want it to have it also contaminate the rest of the country. Uh, that was one of the reasons why we think they the the steps that were taken to destroy the all the different um evidences out there one made partially to hide the evidence or one to because it was probably something so dangerous that they wanted to quarantine the area so so let me ask you um what do you think killed those 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 soldiers and and later what happened I mean, what happened to their families? What what did they tell the families that happened to these twenty four soldiers? Did you ever find out from any of the people that you've that you've interviewed? Did well, anybody have a clue to what well, they told the Well, that's 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 what's uh, really interesting about this uh, so far is thanks to our connections with some of the investigators in Mexico, they helped us out and and doing some research for us. Um, again, this happened in '74, and supposedly there was an article that came out in one of the local papers that stated that there were a number of soldiers that were killed in a traffic accident. So we were wondering how coincident how coincidental that 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 uh, article came out, and also um, at the same time that this event had had occurred. The other the other factor is uh, that we found out. Pardon me. The other factor that we found out was the military. The Mexican military uh, commander was transferred uh, within two weeks after the event had also occurred. We we also found out that uh, at that time George Bush, um, who became president back in 1974, also uh, had 
worked out a in a meeting with the president of Mexico, also like within two months. Well, within two months of when the when the uh, Koyame had also had also occurred. So there's a little these other little uh, uh, things, these pieces of the puzzle that we're trying to put out. Now, one of the things that we do, and I'm sure you've had other investigators on your show um, say this, but we're, we're constantly trying to, to find witnesses or people who can share with us what has happened. But we do it on both sides of the border, you know, on, on Mexican on Spanish uh, radio stations as well as uh, our English-speaking stations that we ask people if they have any knowledge of anything unusual or they have anything that they can share with us, um, by all means, uh, they can get in contact with us. And we've gotten some really interesting witnesses that have shared with us some of their experiences. And I, I can share with you also that in a moment if you like. Yes, I'd like to know more about that. And then when you get through with that, I'd like to for you to talk about the um, samples of debris that you found uh, on the ground for, for for the UFO Hunters series. Yes. Uh, but tell us the other one first. Yeah, Lavender, uh, what we found was um, there was a school teacher um, who uh, was driving along the road with on the U.S. side with her son, and she uh, was, as they were driving um, from a small small town called Riodosa, they remember seeing this bright, bright cloud, uh, this bright explosion over the mountains. And uh, it was during the day, and the sun described it as almost as, as powerful as the sun. It was a, it was a huge, huge explosion. And uh, they shared that with us, and so we got their testimony that it also occurred. One of the cases, uh, or one of the testimonies that we received that I find really, really interesting is a gentleman who uh, is a retired police officer from Los Angeles. His name is Mr. Tony Ramirez. And Tony shared with us that he, at, when he was a kid, about age ten or eleven, at the time, they were they they would visit their grandparents that lived in Koyame. They would go down during the summer after sc- when during school break, during the to uh, spend time with their family. He said that um, he remembers he was there in August of 1974, and he, one day he was riding a horse, uh, his uncle's horse, and it was getting dark, and he started to, um, it was time for him to return the horse back in, in, back into the stable. So as he was brushing the horse down, uh, he heard some noise across the road, and there was a cornfield right across from him, and he kept hearing this noise, and then he, all of a sudden he looked, and he thought he saw this he thought it was a dog at first and then when he looked he saw what looked like a small person but when he looked a lot when he looked closely he noticed that this little person had a large head it was so big he said it was as if this thing was having a hard time keeping its head balanced 
And what he noticed was that this particular uh, being had like a ridge on its head, crescent uh, on its forehead, and had red eyes. Well, this really frightened him. He saw that, and he ran back into his grandparents' house and started crying and started sharing with his uh, grandparents. And his father was there, and his uncle was there, and and they there his uncle was teasing him a little bit and and then his grandmother said oh she said you saw them you saw the little diablitos you saw the little devils what what was the, the interesting something i forgot to add was that these uh this little small being had like little stalks on its head beside a ridge and what made Tony uh, contact us was he heard me on another radio show and he had uh, wanted to get in touch with me and and he was able to get uh, my contact information and we we, uh, we spoke and he started sharing with me the details and he said, Ruben, he said, I was watching television. They showed this uh, this program that uh, about the Brazilian UFO crash that 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 occurred near Vagina, uh, Brazil. I believe that happened in 1997, and he showed these strange beings. He said, I saw the red eyes, and he said, that's exactly what I saw. And later, um, I have a real good uh, working relationship with a group of UFO investigators in Chihuahua, a good friend of mine, Hiberto Rivera, who's in charge of that organization, they keep tracks of all the the uh, sightings as well as paranormal events and everything. And he said that there's been a number of witnesses that have also seen these strange beings uh, with, that are small with red eyes and that. So there might be a connection there, but uh, the testimony from the school teacher, from his son, from the son, and also from um, a former police officer, Mr. Tony Ramirez, are, are you know they're quite credible. And now we're starting to get other other people that remember seeing a strange light, strange explosion that occurred over in that area along the border. We've also have gone into the Koyami area, and we've went to these small little ranches. And we've spoke with a number of people there, and they share with us the, about there's them seeing these strange objects flying over these areas. And this is going on now. Uh, up to now, there's just been a number of activity. But one of the things that we came across, Lavender, was going back to the question about the debris. We actually came across uh, uh, a plane wreckage. And we were wondering, oh my God, is this is this the plane that I, that could have collided with the uh, with the disc, with the disc? And then so uh, we went out there and we found with the the first time we went out there and we found the remnants of the of the airplane. And then later, uh, the UFO hunters they were interested in doing a episode about the Koyami case as well as uh, other UFO occurrences in Mexico and we were able to go back and find the airplane wreckage now we don't do not know specifically if it is the actual plane but it's very rare finding plane wreckage out in the desert 
Uh, we were told by some of the locals that the plane could have been from um, someone from a drug trafficker that crashed their plane, and that might have been the, the reason why that plane uh, was flown in that area. But then we received reports from other folks that also seen in, that also remember seeing a plane crash in, in an immediate area, and they also remember seeing a lot of military activity. So we need to go out and hopefully um, do more research and go to the crash site or find these crash sites if we can and see if we could get any any additional evidence. Do you think they blew it up with a with an atomic suitcase? That's what uh, we're thinking is that it's possible with a low a, a, a small device that was back then they had these small atomic uh, weapons that you could put in the suitcase and <clears throat> be able to neutralize or quarantine an area like the one that that we think what what occurred in that area of course we when we were with the UFO hunters we found a ditch or a pit and they found a number of of interesting items that uh but then we they one of them had a, a, a Geiger counter, and immediately we started getting some some high high uh, readings, and that that was concern to us. We didn't want to exhume anything out of that pit, not knowing what else we're dealing with. So that's another possibility. <clears throat> but then again, how about the fused metal you found? Yes, uh, the the metal is caused by the high heat. Um, Concentration and aluminum, it it melted. Uh, That plane was practically melted in many many respects because we found so much of it um, around the the crash site. So uh, we were able to collect some some of the um, some of these items and bring them back. But that's kind of. But again, like I said, it was quite rare to, to to find an airplane or a wreckage of an airplane out in the, in the desert. Well, if anything, it gave us an idea and what to look for. So if we ever get a chance to go back to some of these, these remote areas, at least uh, we, we have an idea. Yeah. Well, um, I wanted to ask you what you think of the uh, stalactites, stalagmites, you know, our friend Leela Hutchison, she's the one that told me about you. And uh, you met with her. and Oh, yeah. yeah. And so Great lady. Tell us what you think uh, about what she's discovered. Well, as I mentioned earlier, earlier there's so much um, that's there. We mentioned the, the Marfa lights, the, urani- the uranium. Also, the these giant crystals <clears throat> that are that uh, Leela had a chance to explore, and I found that quite fascinating because when I spoke with her, it's called the Naika Mines, where these giant huge crystals were were found, and it might be a possibility that there might be more crystals like that elsewhere because it's a high volcanic uh, area. There is just a lot of, of of activity and uh, that's been going on there. We found there's also the the zone of silence, uh, the, the Mexico's Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. And also uh, these crystals, uh, we, we I found them 
was amazing. I, I found these, uh, like almost like a temple in this under underground cave, and I was able to wander into uh, toward the back, and I had this light, this fluorescent light, and I lit when I showed it up toward the ceiling. It was just amazing seeing all these crystals and that. So I think that, that might, maybe that might be another part of the reason why we may, might be having such high activity of of either um, UFO sightings, if there is a connection with that, and crystal energy, of course, and or also the other factors that, I, that we talked about. And also I forgot and to check. The share. caves and crystals close to the area of the crash site? Yeah, um, it, within the immediate area, I mean, that that whole stretch of the territory, um, what's known as Big Ben, there's Big Ben National Park. Uh, it's like a magnet. There's just so much that's going along along that border. Uh, we, as I mentioned, we have you have these the large crystal mines, the Naika mines, and then you also have what. Uh, the other uh, the other item I forgot to share with you was I think you're probably familiar with the Star Child skull. Yes. That was found also in that area. Oh, really? Uh, back in 1937 in, in Chihuahua. Huh. And uh, the late uh, Lloyd Pye, of course, uh, was very Im- very involved in the the um, research. On yeah. that strange skull, there's so much, but but that as well as all the other strange uh, events that have been occurring, uh, it's it's really a, what, uh, an interesting hot zone, uh, as I call it. So you you had in January of this year, you went to Del Rio, Texas. I spent a lot of time in Del Rio. My parents like had racehorses, and I was there uh, almost every summer, uh, at least for one of the meets. So I I know that area. So tell us. What happened for you at this UFO conference? Um, one of the things that both my good friend Noe and I have done is uh, we want to work with these little these communities that have had a UFO uh, event, and mainly we do that similar as Roswell, New Mexico. You know, they have a big festival and they get their local government and the museum and. Right. And their merchants involved, and what we want to do is promote that, but also this the use that as a way of tourism because many of these communities rely on that, and plus it's a great educational tool so with that, we work with the chamber of conference and in each of these communities we call it the border zone conferences and we're we're unlike other conferences where you have uh, private promoters. We actually get the cities involved, and we we serve more as consultants. So the Chamber of Commerce will then go ahead and uh, fund the, the event. And of course, we're like many other these other communities um, that have, uh, and festivals. They have they have their own specific events related to paranormal or something unusual that, that people it attracts people, of course. And so, the last three years, let's see now. We're going on, yes, the last three years we've had uh, the conferences there at Del Rio. And the reason why, the reason why, Lavender, why we had that one there was there was another UFO crash that occurred near Langtree, which is north of Del Rio, but on the Mexican side of of the border where there was a UFO that crashed and it was being 
followed by a jet fighter pilot by the name of uh, Colonel Robert Willingham. And we were able to get together with him and gather all, all his information. And we wrote a whole separate book called The Other Roswell and yeah. about his experience. And so that's why why we uh, have had uh, our festivals planned around that event. So it's growing, and uh, we're hoping that it'll become a lot more popular, and people will come down to Del Rio. And we have another uh, conference in Enberg, Texas, which is down in by by the Rio Grande Valley, further down south. Uh, what are the dates for that? Oh, August twelfth, uh, I believe. 13th, I believe it's the 13th, 12th and 13th. Well, I'll have some more information uh, to share and forward it to to your website. Okay, good. What do you think that's really happening with um, the disclosure people now? I just wanted to see what your feeling is about, you know, there's a group of of people that that have been tracking... All of this for what the last twenty or thirty years. I know Stan Friedman is one of your friends, and what are they saying about what's what's happening with our government? What's the latest? We want to know well, what's happening out there. Yes, well, what's what's interesting, and, and there's been a lot a lot of hard work by a number of these people. Stephen Bassett, I'm sure you're familiar with him, and a number of other key people. It's either to trying to get our our government. Uh, our military or our government to release these files, um, release information that yes, we are being under systematic surveillance by by whoever these folks are um, from out of this world. And the thing about that is that it's been a uphill battle. Um, we're getting disclosure coming from m- many different sources. It's like I shared with you. The event that happened near Del Rio, where we had a fighter pilot, former Air Force fighter pilot from back in the 50s, share with us his event. And and so there are a number of other people that are coming out of the woodwork that have military background or that that have sworn an oath not to say anything, but right now are at their deathbeds and have started to share this information. And it's coming from other credible sources as well. But the thing I find quite unique is that um, it's not happening just here in the United States. There's a, this disclosure movement is happening in other parts, in other countries, and I'm quite amazed with how um, Argentina and Chile and Brazil, for example, and uh, France, uh, England as well. I mean, they're releasing these files, and and in some cases. Specifically in Latin America, you have the military working very closely with uh, with their local UFO investigators or with their organizations. So things aren't perfect, but at least you have some sort of collaboration effort going on, and it would be really worthwhile to see that here. But it's a different type of um, obstacles that we also have to deal with because you have the, um, the possibility of the private sector. You have Private companies are, that are looking at these, that to take, perhaps as a technology, and unfortunately, it's being used to develop weapons. Yeah, that's true. I wanted to ask you: Did you ever meet Travis Walton? 
Yes, fascinating person. Um, we've had him um, with us at a number of our conferences, and he shares his story. I never get tired of listening to Travis. There's always something quite different uh, that he shares. And he's such a credible person. And at the same time, um, we we had uh, the fortune of going and attending his and participating at his uh, 40th anniversary. We went up to Eber, uh, where he li- where he lives, and this is where they had the event. And it was a great conference. But at the same time, uh, we also went out to the site where where he had his uh, experience. Kind of quite eerie, but when you go out there, you could see how isolated it was, and you wonder what what was it that he he dealt with. And of course, he shares the story. So quite remarkable. At the same time, um, slowly he's adding additional information as he remembers. So it's one of those high-profile abduction cases um, that deserves attention, not just here in the United States, but throughout the world. Oh, no, I I really I, I admire him for what he's gone through. How's his health and is his mind good now? Is he has does he have it all going on together? Oh, that guy is that guy looks like a track star. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, he he looks really healthy, very very sharp. Um, he he uh, he doesn't know. I'm trying to remember one of the questions he said whether it might have. Um, experience might have also affected his health in a positive way. But he looks a lot like younger, so that's great. (laughs) Well, maybe he stopped the aging process with what they did with him, yeah. Probably. There were several years there. When this first happened, I know that he, you know, withdrew and didn't speak to anyone, and it took him a little while to, to, you know, gather his wits about him. Yes. Um I I he's a definitely a very really nice guy too. I also want him a very very humble man and um and one of the reasons why he goes out and shares his story and something is that uh I was hearing from anesthesia earlier in the report how there's a lot of misinformation out there. Yeah. And sometimes people like to take a person's story and twist it and that was one of the biggest concerns was that uh, Travis's Walton story was starting to be changed by other people and so that's one of the reasons why he does so many lectures he wants to tell his story so are you talking about the movie he d- they did called Fire in the Sky did he want to straighten that story <laughs> yes, up yes that what you're um, about? yeah exactly uh, well as you know Hollywood tends to yeah change change stories and or as we call the term Hollywood eyes the, the the different aspects of the movie just to either attract more viewers for example and so that's one of the reasons I find that quite quite disturbing in some respects cuz uh, although the, the whole effort of educating people on UFOs we still get a lot of Hollywood type movies that which there'll be a couple of new ones coming out this year. It's all about you know shooting them and shoot them down and uh, invasion and all yeah. that other stuff. It's usually the same theme. Yeah, yeah. So you get, I mean, I, get, I, well, I wish we could. Fifty-one. Pardon me. Have you spent time out at Area Fifty-One? 
Yes, yes. Um, both Noe and I had a great opportunity to go out to Area 51 back in um, last year. And it was a, a great opportunity for us because, one, we haven't been out there, but two, we're very interested in what um, the whole aspect of the whole aura of, of Area 51, how much of that's played into the whole shaping our history as well as ufology. And remember, uh, this case, I mean, Yeri 51 was opened up in 1955, and it wasn't until two years uh, two years ago that finally the government admitted, yes, we do have, Area 51 does exist. For all this time, all this time we were told, no, there was no such thing. So that's probably another aspect of this disclosure, that things are starting to happen. And sure, I mean, there's it's important that we, we have national security and and there are reasons for that. But at the same time, I think the truth about UFOs is starting to come out in in, in many different avenues or in different directions toward toward um, finally perhaps we just may have, may get that smoking gun as I've heard. Yeah. So you're you're working with a filmmaker named Patrick Conley. And he's uh, doing a film called They Rode the Flying Saucers. <clears throat> Tell us about that. Yes, this is going to be an interesting documentary, Lavender. It's about the um, whole aspect of the contactee movement from back then, back in the 50s. Um, there was so much going on in the 50s, uh, a lot of UFO sightings and throughout throughout the world. And there was so, ma- so many inter- people who were having so many different experiences. So they had what was called the contactee movement, and so this documentary is going to reflect the experiences of what many of what these people were going through. So both Noe and I had a chance to um, share, based on what we knew and based on other other um, interviews that we've done with the people that were involved in that contactee movement back back then. Great. When do you think the movie's going to come out? Well, I, it's, I think it may come out in probably by next year. Or, I mean, I'm sorry, latter part of this year or, or early part of next year. Uh, he, uh, Mr. Connolly has been working on this uh, film project for a number of years now, probably about four year, four or five years. And um, But I'm, I'm sure it's going to be one heck of a documentary. Now, he might be an interesting guest to, to have on your show. Okay, well, ask him, and, and and if you know Travis Walton, do you think you could call him and ask him if he'd come on our show? Oh, sure. I could definitely, I could ask him. Okay, uh, good. I'll, I'll be happy to do that. Yeah, and, we would love We would love to. I don't have his contact information, so if you have it, um, then either send it to me or or call him or, or ask him if he would be available some Tuesday at, uh, you know, at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. We would love we'll definitely. I'll start getting on that right away for you. Yeah, we have a large um, uh, audience that seems to be very awake. We have a lot of star seeds, walk-ins, light workers, people that are ready for new information. We hardly have anyone ever come on our show to try to debunk us. We, that just doesn't seem to be our experience. Oh, great! Yeah, oh, that's that's great. Um, I I I think there's so much to this. It's not just a uh, nuts and bolts type of of approach, but like as as I mentioned, there's so much 
going on, and I, I, it's so interesting meeting people who've had all these variety of experiences, and also it's a spiritual change. Of course, it's it definitely is. changed me. Right. Well, you know, back in early uh, January, uh, Hillary Clinton said that if she were elected, that she was going to get to the bottom of what the government knows about UFOs and aliens. What's your thoughts about that? Well, it's an interesting statement. Um, I'm really hoping that she'll stick to her testimony there, and that she'll if let's see what if if she does get elected. I'm sure that uh, she probably may be one of the first that will gradually uh, start releasing these files and then um but you you know it's a political year you have so many promises from some from politicians um i just understand i just read about bernie sanders uh he totally avoided the subject which is probably <laughs> typical of many How of these trump? other did trump avoid the subject <laughs> <laughs> oh they'll probably make some some they'll make some sort of wisecrack out of it so Sure. We'll see. It's again. It's the uh, efforts from our from the disclosure people that are trying to work very closely. Um, I, I I was totally impressed with the congressmen and senators that were involved in the last uh, disclosure conference that Stephen Bassett put together. Uh, they're very sharp and they really were open and to listening to all these different. Uh, Testimonies that were being presented to them, and if we can get that kind of caliber in there, that we just may start seeing a whole chef in attitude. Well, that's good. Well, I certainly um, have such fond memories of, of of experiences that I've had that I've been able to write about, and and hopefully that I'll be able to take my my story and put it to the screen one day. It's called Crack Between the Worlds. Oh great! And I had uh, you know 25 years of taking information and putting it in a bank vault, and I was told not to release it until after the kids that were up, that were born after 1980, were were adults. And so now I'm being able to release that information that I've been holding on to for all these years. But I want to commend you for the work that you've done and the work that you're about to do. And we certainly we'd love to have you come back when you have your other book ready to. Uh, to uh, share with us, but at this time I would like to um, get my co-host to come on the air, Arielle, and pass you over to her. She has a switchboard, and maybe some people might be calling in to ask questions. Will you take a few questions from the Oh, absolutely. That'll that'll be fine. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you, Larry. Stay in contact with me, and let me know if you find um, uh, either uh, Patrick or or Travis, or both, to come on our show. I'd, we would love to have them. Definitely. I may also be able to get you some other guests as well. That, uh, great. That would be of, so great. Of, of interest. We're always looking for people to come on our show that have these interests. So back to you, Ariel. Okay. Hi, Ariel. Well, hello. Um, at this time, I would like to offer, uh, if anyone listening has a question for Ruben, um, you will... If you're listening on the computer, you'll need to dial 917-889-8292, and then once you get in, press 1 so we know you have a question. And if you're already on the switchboard, just press 1, and our um, switchboard host, Vanya, will uh, make sure that you have a question for Ruben to answer this evening. And while we are waiting for that, um, 
you said almost at the beginning of the of the show um, about an interesting synchronicity with the name Deneb. Yes, thank you. Um, what was interesting, Ariel, was uh, when we came across that report, I thought, what does that word mean, Deneb? Den-? And I thought that was an acronym. Well, one day uh, a friend of mine, a friend of mine, was helping me. Uh, helping, we were helping another friend put together his telescope, and he had in his. It has a little computer on it, so it'll guide the telescope into different directions. Well, I hit the button accidentally, and then the telescope started to turn, and then it said Deneb. And I looked at it. I said Deneb. What is it? Then it dawned on me. Of course, it's a constant. It's it's has to do with astronomy. So I immediately we started to do some research. I contacted Noe and I said, "Hey, you know what? Uh, it, the answer is right in front of us. It's it's up in up in space." And we started doing this research, and we found out that the Deneb was like a bright star in the middle of the, of the, of the Milky Way, and that the Mayans used to refer to it as a void. The, the center of the void of the universe. So that was an interesting that uh, we made that connection. So whoever used that term in that report obviously probably had some some sort of uh, knowledge of of astronomy, and they used used that as part of their acronym. So that that was what I found really quite amazing. Again, through well, synchronicity. I knew that there was a star called Deneb. So when you said that, that was what you know triggered in my mind. But, exactly. Uh, uh, I mean, also um, heard about that on Star Trek. <laughs> and right. First, yeah, um, I've just Star Trek has is so rich and so deep. If you know what to listen for, um, so yeah, a lot of things I need to know I got from Star Trek. So <laughs> we have um, we have a caller with a question for you. So mm-hmm. we are going to be talking to Lynn in just a second here. Hi, Lynn. Thanks for calling. You are on the air Hi, are with. You? Hello. How are you? I'm doing great, Lynn. It's nice to hear your voice, and you have a question. Thank you. I do. I was interested in your comments about the new films that are coming out. I've seen so many um, advertisements of films that are so aggressive and fear-based and that we have to, you know, it's almost as though the government is directing us to find a new enemy. Very good point. Uh, uh, Definitely. What what are your feelings about that? Well, I I wish, like, for example, uh, one of my favorite movies was uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And they, you know, I wish a movie like that uh, could be uh, could be made. But I start noticing again, even on TV, uh, again, it's the same theme. Um, our military, they have superior weapons, and they're here to invade us. They're either here to eat us. And I totally agree. It's all fear-based. I would like to see something uh, much more sophisticated than just the. It's like looking at a western <laughs> for a while, for a bad. I mean, poor analogy, but it's like back then it was again in the you know a big shoot shootouts, and this is what it is, just a modern version of it. So I'm hoping that well, we'll get some some good good quality uh, 
um, productions. Hopefully, the, some of the producers out there will will be able to put something much more enlightening for for us. Well, I guess it concerns me because the we're, we're sort of you know art imitates life, and mm-hmm. and it just feels so energetically that it's 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 being positioned for the masses to be very as they as they start releasing this information, it, rather than saying all of the historically the advances that we've been given, in my opinion, from from you know, wherever, we're we're looking at total, you know, annihilation and war. Exactly. No, I'm cer- now, certainly there's been some positive contributions that were made to humanity, and uh, the po- some 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 of the scientific uh, advancement, and maybe that someday may be released uh, more. And so, what what are some of these uh, advances now? Whether it was from the crash retrievals, or whether it was and actually through um, beings that were able to share this technology with us, but behind that. You also get a number of other researchers that are also out there that have their their opinions, and some of them are again are, are based on fear fear based theories. Mm-hmm. Now we really don't well, know. Well, it's I'm, been a pl- it's it's really been a pleasure listening to you, and um, <laughs> whenever I get sort of the information that that someone of your caliber and, and knowledge is coming on the show, and I'm Always very appreciative of oh, thank you, um, Lavendar thank you. and everything that she's doing for those of us that are hanging around out here. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for calling, Lynn. Thank Bye-bye. you. You're welcome. Bye. Well, you know that. Excuse me. It's it was a really good point, and and uh, Lynn, I think you're absolutely right. Um, because I mean the what, what I see coming is if they can if they can make people fearful enough when you know the big event happens when either it's disclosure willingly or unwillingly then then the people will quickly turn over their civil liberties um, just like after the terrorist attacks you know exactly. to protect us and that's just yeah I can understand why it just it kind of it, it can be enraging. Because it's so far from the truth. Yes. And and certainly there have been many people whose lives have been enriched, um, but nobody really wants to hear those stories. They want to hear the scary, you know, the ones that that you know <laughs> get you all worked up, and <laughs> and then you can walk out of the movie theater and and forget about it because you don't really, you know don't really understand what's going on. Yes, the the boogeyman comes in different versions. <laughs> yeah. Just like uh I remember when I was a kid, I I I love Godzilla films and, and of course Godzilla would turn out to be a bad guy and then a good guy and what's a whatever and and some of the other sci-fi movies that I remember came with a message. I I really enjoyed the the older movies that came out came out in the fifties and sixties. Um, they had a specific message. I, I I really enjoyed the 
The Day the Earth, Earth Stood Still, but that was the 1951 version that came out, and some of the other other movies as well. But I, I'm hoping that we can get some good quality um, production on some on this very important topic. Well, do you um, are you familiar with the Valiant Thor, um, Doctor Frank Strange's Stranger at the Pentagon story? Oh, somewhat. But um, go, go ahead, share share. Uh, well, with there me is what your um, thoughts are. There is a um, Hollywood um, casting director, producer, screenwriter named Craig Campobasso. And uh, we love him dearly. He's been on our show several times. And he was um, very close with Dr. Frank and basically um, took up the the mission after Dr. Frank left the planet. And he is has already completed the, the short film uh, called Stranger at the Pentagon. It's the true story mm. of what happened when... Valiant Thor showed up at the at the White House and made his presentation to Eisenhower and um, and he was a guest at the Pentagon for three years and they did all kinds of testing and you know like his uniform wouldn't burn and he had no fingerprints and no belly button um, <laughs> and and Craig has written a screenplay um, based on Dr. Frank's work and. Uh, and Valiant Thor's mission uh, completed the short film and has um, gosh I'm, I'm starting to lose track I think three different independent film festivals where he's taken first place in, oh, the, wow. sci- in the science fiction um, category and nice. his his work is being funded by the people so he's not beholden to a studio as you said you know when they start to Hollywoodize and 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 bastardize the story. Yeah. So um, he was able to accomplish this, and it is really a first class. Um, and for those that are listening that maybe didn't hear Craig, um, I think it's Stranger at the Pentagon dot com. You can go and, and he might even have that short film up there. But he's now in the process of doing the the feature length. And the the true story and the the mission of of um, bene, uh, benevolent assistance to the planet. So, <laughs> and he's letting he's letting the people he's doing it all with um, funds raised from the grassroots. So that has that holds a lot of promise for the starseed UFO community. Awesome. Yeah, and you might even want to, um, you know, connect with him. Tell him you've been on our show, and um, he'll he'll welcome you with open arms. Oh, I definitely will. I'm def- not, I'm glad you were able to share some of the other uh, great work that he's doing as well. So uh, it's great to have people like that uh, that can hopefully make a make a difference. Yeah, well, you know, he's committed to telling the true story, and um, he's he's been a Hollywood casting director for 30 years, so he's got wow. the connection to pull it off. So um, we would just like to rally support for Craig um, at any opportunity because it's it's really going to be um, it's going to change a lot of reality for a lot of people, and I think 
subdue some of the fear that's been generated by fictional movies created for profit. Exactly. And that's certainly not his motivation. The truth is his only motivation. Yeah. So have you tired. been? Have you been to um, Lake Mead in that area? No, I haven't. Um, that would be an interesting area to go to. Visit. Well, I mean, according according to Craig, the um, the Victor One, which is the name of Valiant Thor's um, flagship, is permanently stationed. At, at Lake Mead, and of course they've got a deflector screen. So, um, but occasionally you can, uh, if you're there, I guess often enough, you can catch some um, some really high strangeness uh, UFO activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe at a future uh, on a future show, I could share some of the other personal um, experiences that I had when I had my sightings and. And, uh, so have it, you uh, have you had contact or sightings or both? Well, um, I couldn't say not, not directly contact, but um, one of the most interesting experiences that I had was when I went to England back in 1994. I went on my very first crop circle expedition, and what I remember was how I was with my, our group, and it was. Uh, it was dark, and we were in an area where we were doing a night watch. And I almost felt like uh, I could read. I, I, I wanted to communicate, and I basically put it out there in, in the form of a prayer, asking if uh, should they appear, do so because they want to. And should they should they appear, I thank them. And that's how I pretty much said it. And I when I said that, all of a sudden I saw this ball of light Sorry, the rise there, Ariel. I looked through it and I said, "What the heck is that?" And I start looking through my binoculars, and it was a like a plasma color, but it was sh- a shape like a dome. And then I start calling all my friends and the people around and say, "Hey, there's something out there. It's to take a look." And then all of a sudden it descended, and then I said to myself, "Darn, I sure wish they could reappear. I want my friends to see it." And within within moments, then this ball of light starts rising, and then another one, and then another one, and it starts forming into a triangle. And we were at all with it. And I'm looking at I'm looking at it, each of these lights through my binoculars, and they all look identical. You know, flat on the bottom, kind of like this plasma color. And then one of the guys next to us was a professional photographer. He had his camcorder, and he was looking at at first at these objects through his night scope. And then when I looked at him, he uh, he started to raise his camcorder, and something told me that they're not going to allow themselves to be filmed. And as soon as he picked up his camcorder and aimed it at the objects, they disappeared. And we said, whoa. And, well, the next day... We were out in that area again, and we found this one beautiful crop circle. It was shaped like a galaxy, and it was right in that vicinity. And I found out that the area that we were that we happened to be doing our surveillance was known as Golden Ball Hill. And I thought, whoa, 
well, that's what we saw. Where were these golden balls? But for me, um, it was like like I had an interaction. It's like I just had this connection with them. And in fact, mm-hmm. you know, where, where they were reading my my thoughts. I know a number of other people would think I, I'm probably out of, out of my mind, but you know that does happen uh, to a number <laughs> of people who have this 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 uh, experience. There's that a some sort of spiritual connection, or as well, and so uh, there's a whole story behind this, which is uh, all this uh, synchronicity that that got me there. But that just opened me up to further, well, further. You adventures. know, um, as far as this show and our audience is concerned, um, I'm sure we've had a lot of similar stories, and no one is is raising an eyebrow. I promise you. <laughs> And yes, you were in telepathic communication with them because obviously um, they they were responding to your thoughts and and coming from a place of gratitude like you were, it raised your vibration. Um, have you have you been up to Iseti Ranch? No, I haven't yet. I, I would like to do that. Um, yeah, I've. I I, I've would... been involved uh, with with uh, the uh, C-SETI group from way back with Dr. Greer, and where we tried not to initiate C-SETI, not not C-SETI, E-SETI. Um, James E-SETI. Gilliland. Right. E-SETI. Yeah, he's invited me a couple of times, and I'm, okay, I've got so, all right. to. We are on the same page. Yes. Uh, yeah, and uh, according to James, the reason that. Um, well, there's probably many reasons why they are. They see like 3,000 um, a year um, sightings, but the rule is that you come from a place of of love, no fear, no judgment, and you know none of those lower vibrations because they, um, you know, the, the the fifth dimensional beings, the ETs, can't handle. The density and the and the harshness of you know a lot of people's negative um, assessments or energies, and when you are in that that space of of gratitude and and humility and respect, that's a frequency that they can that they can connect with and deal with. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but if you had you know suddenly become angry, that would have been enough for them to run away as well uh, because they just can't. It's like fingernails on a chalkboard to them. So um, that makes perfect sense to me because you were there in a in a very humble, respectful, um, and giving thanks ahead of time. Uh, um, you did exactly what they want, you know, what they connect with. So I hope to have that experience again someday uh, at another location, I believe, uh, just uh, as you said, I've um, depends on who I'm with too. I, as as you were indicating, you know, sometimes you, you got to have the right kind of chemistry, and if you have someone that is negative, obviously that's going to make an impact. So getting a lot, people of like minds together. Would be well, yeah, important. I mean, negative energy is like stench to them, <laughs> you know, and they get a whiff of it. <laughs> they have to run. They have to run away. It's like sorry. You know, it's it's too abrasive. Um, 
But I, it's just been such a pleasure having you with us. And um, I don't think we're going to have any more callers with questions. Um, so with that, I want to just go over your websites again and how people can find you. Thank you, uh, Ariel. Can, yes? Yes, uh, uh, people could go to our website, which is roswellbooks.com. And they could see the list of books that we both Noe and I have worked together, and also we work with other authors um, that are in, involved in the UFO field. Also, um, for MUFON, we have MUFON.com, and for those folks who are interested in learning more of the other aspects of ufology, uh, definitely go to that website. It's a great website. Then we have Northern California MUFON. Dot com, which is our website that we oversee here for Northern California. So quite amazing, and it, this whole phenomena is uh, requires so many people's point of view uh, to really kind of get an under, understanding of what's going on. Right. Well, when you keep hearing the same thing, then you you know you're getting to the truth. Yes. Uh, you know, and you see those patterns. But we commend you so much for the work that you do and the effort that you put out in helping to bring the truth to light. Um, And please keep up the good work. And when you have uh, a new book or anything that you want to share with us, you're always welcome to come back and have a visit with us. Thank you very much. I look forward to coming back again someday. Well, great, as will we. So with that, everyone, I want to... Thank you for listening from all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy. And please take care this week and have a happy Valentine's Day. We'll see you next week, same time. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.